0: to the Human Growth Foundation's Endocrine Education Podcast, where healthcare providers and caregivers take a deeper dive into growth and bone disorders, as well as growth hormone deficiency treatment options with our special guest experts.
1: I'm joined today by the Ballard family on today's podcast. We're going to be talking about um, growth hormone deficiency, and we're going to be talking about it from a uh, perspective of families, as well as talking with um, pediatric endocrinologists. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves?
2: I'm Jessica Ballard. I'm Vela Ballard.
0: And I'm Chris Ballard.
1: Your perspective in um, the diagnosis of growth hormone deficiency and kind of that process, I think, is really something that a lot of people, both, you know, families who are in the, the process of, you know, wondering about their child's growth, and certainly for um, us as pediatric endocrinologists and and for other primary care people that, that are involved in children's care, we're really interested in kind of hearing your perspective, too. Um, so. Let me just start by asking you all to share a little bit about, you know, your, the process that, um, when you first became concerned about growth and just a little bit about your process leading up to diagnosis of growth hormone deficiency.
2: Everything was fine in the beginning. And when Bela was three years old, um, she actually dipped backwards on the growth chart. She, you know, you normally, you don't go have a dip backwards. Um, so her pediatrician um, recommended that time to go ahead and do some lab work and get us in contact with the endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons too they did push is because I actually have um, history in my family
0: mm-hmm.
2: of uh, growth deficiency. Um, so we did the lab work. Everything came back good on the lab work. And so then we met with, uh, Dr. Jill Raddick. And at that time, we just kind of monitored, they did an x-ray of her hand, saw
1: mm-hmm. that she
2: was behind, but just kind of, um, started to do the x-ray every six months, height and weight to monitor and see how she grows. Um, for, we did it for a couple years mm. and she was not progressing. She was falling further behind Mm -hmm. And so like, as a mom, I'm like, her feet are not growing. (laughs) I'm like, she should not be in the same pair of shoes for a whole year when she's five. (laughs) Um, and so with Dr. Raddick, she agreed that is probably time to try to go ahead and see what, um, to do more testing to see where she's at. And so she recommended we went through the, um, like the fasting test at Cook Children's in Fort Worth, where she they tested everything. And I guess you can say that she passed or she failed according to <laughs> what she needed to prove to move to the next step right? Um, for her diagnosis. Um, so then from there, she ended up having an MRI at Cook Children's. Um, just to make sure there was nothing else causing the deficiency with her pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. And everything was clean with the MRI um, so then we were able to proceed with treatment for her um growth deficiency.
1: And when uh, she was six years old, okay. so that was about three years that you all went through the process of kind of observation and trying to decide, okay, is there something going on? Do we need to investigate more fully? Yes. Okay. And, um, you know, it sounds like your pediatrician was the first one. Did you all have concerns initially, or was it more something that your pediatrician had mentioned to you, and then that kind of brought your attention to it?
0: Mm -hmm. At first, I didn't have any concerns, honestly, because like she mentioned that she has a growth of, um, hormone deficiency on her side of the family. Every every person on her side of the family is like, I think 5'1 is the tallest person. Like, and that's her mom and her dad uh-huh. in the family, going back to her grandparents. Okay. And I mean, she's 4'10", so, and, you know, I'm 6'2", um, so I just thought, you know, she's probably going to inherit mom's genes and she's going to be short, um, sure, so I mean, honestly, at first it wasn't just okay, you're just going to be a small person like mom, but um, then I think the whole point where her feet weren't growing was um, the major concern. And I mean, as she started, you know, getting up in class with other schoolmates and stuff, she was always the smallest, the tiniest person, mm-hmm. and I, that just um, so I mean, that's what took us that way. And then her brother also took growth hormones when he was younger,
1: that's interesting too. So basically, you know, that investigation span, you know, when Bela was, you know, a a toddler preschooler on into the early school years. So, how? you know, from your perspective, Bela, did, you know, a lot of times younger kids don't necessarily notice so much, you know, differences in height and things like that. But was there a a time maybe when you were in kindergarten or or first grade where you noticed that there was a difference or was it just something that you were like, oh, you know, that's just, just me. I'm cool with this.
0: Well, I do remember this one little bit where
2: when I was in like first grade, I, would, I was noticing I was pretty much the smallest in my class.
1: Mm hmm yeah I know that a lot of kids sometimes may notice that, you know, especially if their diagnosis uh, comes a little bit later on. Was there anything in particular like did you feel you know when when Dr. Raddock made the decision to go ahead and move forward with the, with investigation, um, how did you all feel about that? I mean, did you feel like, okay, it's time or was that something that was a little bit more you were still not totally sure about?
2: I was. I think I was fine with it and ready to move forward. I think I kind of pushed a little more, hmm. just because I, <laughs> I just kind of had a feeling and knew that earlier treatment and diagnosis would be better if there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I kind of pushed. Like I think there, it's time we need to kind of check and see more.
1: I agree, and I, I think you know, from the from my perspective. I think that you know we want to do you know th- there's a balance between you know our our desire is always I think to help families and to try to you know look into to concerns and try to you know reach a diagnosis or offer reassurance and things like that but sometimes that process can be very slow you know in trying to make a diagnosis and sometimes you know in, in building that relationship with families and doing the follow-ups and, you know, doing your best are things that we really try to do, but that can still, I mean, I am imagine from your perspective can be a, a hard thing sometimes to have to wait and and kind of go through that process. Was there anything that you felt like, you know, when you were talking with Dr. Raddick that she offered you guys that, you know, kind of helped make that process an easier process for you?
0: I mean, she was just very, I mean, honest and open with this and very down to earth and was just, I mean, easy to communicate with. I mean, for me, I guess after I got educated on it, then I was way more comfortable with it. Um, the experience, the process, some of the testing she had to go through made me a little nervous. Um, mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. so young, being an MRI, they had to put her under, they had to put her to sleep. And that just, you know, that really, really scared me being that young and have to do that. But, um, I mean, she just made everything feel comfortable and everything was just, you know explained everything really open to us
1: and just, just, you know, yeah. I agree. It's kind of a slow process with gathering clues. I mean, there's there's seldom a, a situation um, that we run across where we can just immediately say, aha, I know what's going on and I know what we're going to do uh, immediately. Um, and once, you know, we go through and begin to collect clues, you have to move into more you know, involve things like the growth hormone testing and, uh, you know, the MRI scan to kind of reach that final point. Um, what, what about the discussion you guys had after all the testing was done and after Dr. Raddock had called you and said, okay, the I, the testing and everything supports growth hormone deficiency. You know, what was the discussion as far as growth hormone treatment for you all?
2: I think really there wasn't, too much of a discussion far as we knew that it would probably be shots.
1: That's right? true. Cause you all had already had an experience too in your family. So you kind of knew that. So it wasn't like you were coming in blindly. Correct.
2: Now the, it was nerve wracking to think I had to, you know, stick my daughter with a needle <laughs> and, you know, at such a young age and I have to intentionally stick her. but, um, you know, we knew that it was for the better. And, you know, it was a little rough at the beginning, um, but it became more normal and easier. And like now she can give her shots to herself.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um,
2: so it's, you know, been a process and just trying to be consistent with, you know, give them every day. And, you know, so it's been it's been good. And the new pins, you know, at the beginning we got a different type of pen that didn't have the cap on it. And now the newer pin that we got, has like the cap, so It's more like an Epi pen where you kind of stick it and then click the button. It makes it a little bit easier not looking at the needle.
1: <laughs> That's true. What about from your perspective, Bayla, as far as, you know, moving from taking shots to giving yourself shots? Was that a hard thing for you?
2: Not really, because I, by the time I started giving myself shots, I've seen my mom do it on me tons of times and mm-hmm. And I slowly started doing it more and more on my own. And okay. kind of became easier and more I done it.
1: And as far as you know doing daily shots too, I mean, doing anything daily is always kind of a challenge. Do you guys have any tips or tricks or encouragement you'd offer to families that are, you know, just starting this journey or maybe are in the journey, but are like, man, doing these shots and managing the schedule is a hard thing to do.
2: Yeah. We just try to make it part of like the bedtime routine. So when it's time to, you know, brush your teeth, wash your face, you know, um, get ready for bed, we made it part of the bedtime routine to be consistent Um, for traveling, we just kind of use like, you know, the bottle thermos bags and with an ice pack to be able to take it and travel easier, you know, put the couple supplies that we need for overnight, um, you know, instead of like a big cooler or anything, just be able to pack and keep it, um, how it needs to be.
1: How long have you all been on growth hormone now?
2: Almost five years. She's been on since she was six.
1: Okay. So uh, tell me a little bit about your experience and what have you all um, seen with, with growth hormone treatment?
2: Um, Well, I can say that we definitely can tell a big difference. I mean, she started when she was six at two percentile in growth, at growth percentage, she was two percentile. Mm -hmm. And at her last visit, she was 49 percentile. Wow. So she has really made progress being on the medication um, you know, so now she's like average, so she doesn't necessarily know the difficulties that she would have had if mm. she had not been on the treatment. So with my family, like I'm four ten, so I grew up where I was on the smaller side mm-hmm. and I know how it was, and like my my family's smaller, so I know. So luckily, she hasn't had to deal with as much of that. You know, people questioning how old she is, or she's too small, or you yeah. As, like, I did because she's been on the growth hormone and it has been working great for her.
0: That's I mean, true. I noticed, too. Like, people can definitely tell that she's growing, that she's not the smallest anymore, that she's definitely gotten taller and everything. And she's excited that she's almost as tall as mom right now, and she's only 11. <laughs>
1: I understand. And, you know, and you guys point out something that can be a real challenge. You know, if you do have, obviously, you know, a a medical condition like growth hormone deficiency or or other things that impact your growth, you know, when people children certainly can view you and even adults can view you and think, oh, you're smaller, you're younger. And and that can be frustrating. I know for for children, I've, I hear that a lot too. So I'm glad that that's something that, you know, for, that in your case, having a diagnosis of growth hormone deficiency is something that's been, you know, taken care of for you. Any other, you know, things that you all would offer as far as, you know, advice to families that are concerned about, you know, their children and concerned about, um, their child's growth or that perhaps have growth hormone deficiency.
0: I just say early diagnosis is the best. I mean, the sooner you can, you can, you can detect it and sooner you can get, you know, you know, get medicine for it and everything. I think it's a really good thing to do. Um, I mean, for us, fortunately, I mean, we, we were able to catch it pretty early. So, and, um, you know, it's, it's something that sits in the long run. It's good for her. It's um, you know, we've, I mean, she's been on it for five years. We've seen no no negative side effects whatsoever. It's been nothing but positive outcome mm-hmm. for us, um, especially for her. I mean, mentally and physically. Um, but uh yeah, it's um, you know, if it's if it's something you notice, it's something you you know, take a look at, um, you know, reach out to your doctor and, and see what they say. It's I mean, it doesn't hurt. To, to have it looked at. I mean, it is, it was a little nerve wracking, the whole MRI. The purpose of the MRI was to see if she had any kind of, you know, um, blockage on the pituitary gland. And that's kind of nervous to think about being that young. Absolutely, um, so, yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something even, even if that is something that is causing the pituitary gland, it's definitely better to detect something like that early too. So it's, it, it was kind of a, a two for one thing almost, you know.
2: And I know for me, I mean, one of the things as a family is, the cost, right? Thinking about what is the cost of the treatment mm. for how long, mm-hmm. um, which that was one of our concerns too. But since we've been on it, we realize a lot of the medications, a couple, they have like the copay assistance programs. And that has really helped. Like for Bela, we were able to do copay assistance that has paid for all of her supplies for her shots and her medicine and that has been wonderful you know knowing that that was there and that that's something that we were able to use
1: there's a lot of dimensions when it comes to growth hormone treatment you know besides just the making the diagnosis there is the process of you know finishing the diagnosis and determining exactly what's causing growth hormone deficiency there is the process of getting the medication started and and there's the process of getting the medication and, you know, the cost and things like that too. So we, you know, growth hormone has been around since the, the mid 1980s. So we've had a long, you know, not we necessarily as pediatric endocrinologists, but we've, you know, participated and advocated as, as have families in in trying to improve the process of getting growth hormone um, covered and getting it prescribed and also learning New, you know, information about other diagnoses that you know growth hormone can benefit, um, and such as you know genetic conditions like Turner syndrome. So, anyway, um, very, you know, very very um, helpful, Bela, I appreciate you and your family joining us, and I'm gonna turn you all loose.
0: Thanks for listening to the Human Growth Foundation's Endocrine Education Podcast. To listen to previous podcasts, please visit hgfound.org forward slash podcasts.